want to go live on video but are a bit unsure where to start? Or maybe you already go live a lot but you are scared to sell. Download for free the Live Authentic Storytelling Guide. Six steps to infuse storytelling into your live videos. You'll get practical structure to help you convert your audience from raving fans to loyal customers. Go to www.livestorytellingguide.com and get your free guide today. On the podcast today is my friend, Jaisal Parikh, who is an Indian American yoga teacher, movement educator, podcaster, author, and disruptor, working on creative solutions for equity in yoga. This is a conversation that has long been needed, and I am so proud of my friend who is leading the charge. She is co-host of the Yoga is Dead podcast, and she offers movement education through the lens of social justice. Her mission is to uplift those of us who are feeling isolated and marginalized by the yoga industry. This is a good episode, you all. And in this episode, we discuss creating and repurposing content, because she's a business owner too, imposter syndrome and navigating the patriarchy, the practice of saying no, so important and something I'm still learning, you all, and giving yourself time, plus three ways to handle feedback when presenting yourself vulnerably, because she has put herself out there. If you are in the yoga industry in any way, shape, or form, or if you are feeling some form of resistance to putting yourself out there, this is the episode for you. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Okay, friends, welcome back to the Nick Demas Show. I have a special guest today. My friend is here, and we were just chatting before we came on, and I was like, we have to stop. We have to press record now. <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Nick. So glad to be here. I'm honored to have you. You have your own incredibly successful podcast, and it's a very different kind of podcast than this one, but I have wanted to have you on for quite some time. You've guested in some of my courses, and we've worked together over the years, but I want to back up because my audience maybe doesn't know you. Some do, of course, but some don't. So let's back way the heck up. And I want to hear a bit about where you grew up, how you came to be this yoga extraordinaire teacher. So I grew up in a very small town in Massachusetts. I was one of the only minority students in that area. I was a very white dominated area. And so growing up, I totally felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. And I honestly, I was just telling someone the, the other day, I could not wait to grow up and move to New York City. Like that was my goal. Yeah, I see you raising your hands. So many of us feel like, yeah, when you feel like you're different in a small town. I was the only gay in the village. You know what I mean? It was like, exactly. get me out. I got to get to New York. Exactly. That's exactly how I felt. So I couldn't wait to get to the concrete jungle. I had to wait till after college when I graduated. I went to Boston University and I majored in business management and specifically marketing. So funny because all that stuff is so outdated now that I learned social media had like just come out when I was in my like senior year of college. That's funny to think about. So I moved to New York City and I worked a corporate job. And a friend of mine was telling me like, hey, I've been going to these yoga classes, you should really join me. And so I this is like the first time when I got to New York City that I started doing yoga in studio and thinking about anything that I did in my life as specifically yoga. I had obviously been doing elements of yoga through my upbringing, like chanting and mantra and all of these meditation and all these other things I've been exposed to. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to these studio classes. And it felt great. My body felt different. It just felt better. And all the sitting around at your desk. So I really fell in love with yoga. And when I wanted to transition out of my job, I knew it was like the one thing that I really enjoyed doing in my life. And I wanted to learn more as so many people do. So I went to India and I was going to India anyway to visit family and a family friend recommended to me that I go to this ashram in Bangalore and do this course. The course was a YTT course and I didn't necessarily think I wanted to teach as so many of us sign up for these things, not thinking we want to teach, right? 
they're like, just get the certificate and then you can do what you want with it after. And of course I started teaching and I fell in love with it. And then I came back to New York, to the US, I should say, because by this time I'd like moved in with my parents for a year and I started teaching. And then I realized I don't know anything. I need to know more in order to effectively help my students. So that's when I joined Three Sisters and that's where I met you, Nick. And you were one of the teachers and mentors in that program. And I remember you vividly and I remember you teaching Pranayam, and I think you even stepped in and taught some anatomy that session because one of the anatomy teachers was less available. I think we resonated and had a vibe, but you are also very kind and you kept in touch and you were always there for support. And so we just kind of kept this relationship going. Yeah, this friendship. That's my story. That's your this story. Friendship. Yeah, it's a good story. And I want to dig in a bit because you said you mentioned early on that some of the practices of yoga you grew up with and they were just sort of commonplace to you right like it was just rather than it being a yoga practice it was part of your upbringing can you elaborate on that a bit and the types of practices that were part of your culture ultimately growing up yeah so I grew up in a Hindu household and obviously there's a lot of overlap between Hinduism and yoga and within the scope of my Hindu upbringing I attended pretty much weekly, every weekend, my parents would go to these bhajans. And so for those of folks who don't know what a bhajan is, it's basically a kirtan, but instead of angular lead singer, basically everyone takes turns leading and singing. And so it's less call and response, but more like the group singing together and chanting in devotion. So every single weekend, my parents would go to a different friend's house or host somebody at their house. And we would participate in this sort of bhajan environment and sing along and learn all of these chants and things like that and then I as I grew I realized like I knew a lot of the mantras that we use in yoga already so these all of these practices were included but I'll say that you know I also got sent to Hindu camp as a kid and part of that Hindu camp was learning meditation and we got our first mala beads and we learned asanas and we learned breathing practices. And I remember, you know, having to do the exercise where you put one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly to see which part of your body you breathe through more. And of course, I still use that exercise and see others teach that exercise today. So lots of exposure in different ways. And parents did yoga and aunts and uncles did yoga at various times, different styles of yoga. Even laughing yoga was a thing in the 90s in India. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just been, it's just been in and out of my life in various ways. What did your parents think when you said, I am not going to, I'm not going to do this desk job. I'm not, I'm not going to work in the business sector and I'm going to teach yoga. I think that they didn't mind it that much. I think they were more worried about a couple of things when you're a girl, especially they're worried about you getting married, but they're also worried about like, how are you going to make money and live? But at the same time, like they were really proud that I was embracing a piece of Indian culture because that's mm. something that they had always tried to instill in us and always wanted us to embrace in our lives. So I think they were really happy about that part of it. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I get that. I, you know, like yeah. every parent, I think, you know, my, uh, when I <laughs> left for New York to be on Broadway, <laughs> like my parents were scared shitless. Yeah. So scared. Not that they didn't want me to do it, like you're saying, but like they were worried, like, where's this money going to come from? How are you going to live? I think my parents take this how you will, but I think they're a little less stressed out because in their minds, I was a girl of marriageable age. So they just thought, oh, she'll get married and her husband will take care of her. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's that aspect. Not that they didn't want us to be independent or we weren't, you know, we obviously were college educated and all that stuff, but I just think there was an element of, okay, well, you know, I grew up with my mom saying like, you can do whatever you want when you get married. Like you can go bungee jumping when you get married. So there's this like that patriarchy kind of built in to the relationship too. I hear, but you can, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but that, yeah. that is a big part of the Indian experience is girl gets married. Yeah, like, for sure. like the minute you're old enough, you get married. Yeah, that's definitely always lurking in the background societally, right? And of course, yeah. into, let's, let's be clear, right? In every community, there are different, there are parents who don't necessarily think that way. But oh, gotcha. yeah, as a whole, as a whole, like you show up to a community event and like everyone's like, when are you getting married? Yeah. You're like, none of your business. Exactly. Maybe never. Maybe never. <laughs> Patriarchy. 
I know, exactly. So backing back up to your second yoga teacher training, which I happen to be a part of. Yeah. And then you went out into the world and began teaching yoga full time, I Mm -hmm. assume. Yeah. And you then made some very conscious choices, it seems, to begin to disrupt the narrative that's happening in yoga. Is that, was it a conscious choice or was it, I shouldn't say you, it seemed that you were conscious of it. I don't know. Was it? What, or did it just, as you were looking around, you're like, I've got to make some noise here about what's happening. I would say yes and no, because I, like many people, I taught for years and years and just went along with the flow and felt like I also didn't fit into the yoga world, which is a little bit sad. And it takes a while for that to sink in, right? I mean, how crazy is that? I didn't feel like I fit into the yoga world. Right. And I think for a while, you're just like, it must be me. I'm doing something wrong, or I'm not doing the right thing, or I don't have enough education, or I'm not going about it the right way. Or you just kind of think like you're the problem. And then you get to the point where you meet other people who've been in the industry for uh, at least a handful of years, and you realize it's not you. (laughs) It's the industry. And so... That is essentially what happened to me. I met somebody in a anatomy teacher training, and this was like a catfish situation. We had both, they had basically advertised this as a job interview. And in the interview, they say, well, you need to know our style and you don't know enough. So you need to take this training. Oh God. So exactly. And so they kind of make you feel bad about who you are and how you teach in order to like get people into the training. And so we both signed up for the training and I'm glad I did because I like, I, it's something I wanted to learn more about anyway, but I'm also not glad because of how the training went, but <laughs> I met other, another person in particular, my podcast partner, Sajal Patel in that training. And we just walked out of that training so many times, like WTF, what just happened in there? Like, did that just happen in there? And so when you, when I finally had somebody to talk to about it and really be open about what I was experiencing and we both you know had these experiences and be like I'm not crazy right like it's not in my head right that this happened and so we kind of felt validation and from that Sajal had this idea of you know we should record a podcast and I didn't know what the I didn't really listen to podcasts I was like okay I don't know why I said yes she just seemed very enthusiastic (laughs) but I just was like okay sure why not and I didn't think anyone would listen to it maybe a few of my friends but then I think like half about we have like half a million downloads. I mean it's 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 incredible. Yeah. I will say a couple things. You were opening conversations that needed to be had that had not necessarily been had in a larger context. Yes, mm-hmm. as a society as a whole, we're beginning to have some of them. But also going back to like your business school, your marketing is spot on, girl. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And I'll say I had taken some other marketing classes and stuff, but the one thing is I didn't want it to be boring. Like I just didn't want the podcast to be boring. I didn't want the name to be boring. I didn't want the branding to be boring because I'm not a boring person. And you know, like we have that, we have the reputation of like as New Yorkers as like very impatient and very like persnickety. So. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to lean into that a little bit. (laughs) You did, and it worked. And it totally worked. And it worked really worked really well for you. Which leads me to that you now do multiple things. So talk to me about what it means to do, like, multiple projects at once. Because you don't just do one thing. You've got a lot going on now. i got a lot going on. And I've scaled back a bit (laughs) over time, realizing that it can be too much sometimes. But the other, I'll say the other main thing that I do, and even within this, I feel like there's multiple projects that was going on. But the main other thing that I do is I provide education to yoga teachers, specifically when it comes to anatomy and kinesiology, meaning movement science. So the whole movement science thing, but I offer it through the lens of social justice and through the lens of honoring yoga as an ancient practice that actually doesn't really need science to back it up. It is what it is, and it's great when all these things meld together, but it's great to see it on its own and the value it has on its own, too. I was invited into the program that you taught in to teach as well after a few years of, you know, learning more and teaching more. And so we got to be colleagues, which was fun. And, you know, nowadays I I work with other people. I work with Laurel Beevilsdorf and Sarah Court recently, and we did this movement logic 
tutorial on the neck. So it's all about the neck. Anything you, any questions you have as a yoga teacher about the neck, they're probably answered in that tutorial with lots of fun exercises. So that was like a whole nother project <laughs> I worked on as well. So lo- always lots of things going on. How do you manage it? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't really know. But I was thinking about this, and I think that a few things I've learned over the years, like one of them is to slow and steady wins the race. I think that's part of it. The other part of it is to start outsourcing where I can. So wherever I have budget, I always try to outsource things because it's really hard for one person to do everything. And even within the scope of one company or like one business, and I say business as yoga teachers, we need to embrace that we are solopreneurs, right? We, we are a business, Please. right? And so even within that, I, I have to say like, okay, well, in a daily basis, can I realistically manage all my bookings, all my marketing, meaning like newsletters and social media and any other marketing that I do outside of that and still come up with thoughtful classes and still show up and teach with the, tra- you know, in the olden days, there was travel, <laughs> maybe, maybe right now it's Zoom classes, but it's still a lot of facets of a business. And you still have to do the accounting at the end of the day and, you know, make sure all the numbers line up and all of those things. And so I think even within that scope, I was starting to think of it as an entrepreneurship and where, as I grew, I was like, where can I start to outsource? So it's slow, slowly, I've been outsourcing pieces of it, sometimes piecemeal, right? Like sometimes it's just like, can you handle this for a few weeks or a few months? And then I, when I have time or space, I can take it back. I'm working with somebody now who's helping me with my newsletter content. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, I have all this backlog of stuff I've written, but I wrote it once a long time ago and sent it out once. And I got to recycle that because that's another big, big repurpose, thing. repurpose, repurpose. Right. Like that's the thing is yoga teachers, we always forget. And we, like, we try to teach new classes. And I always say to people, Beyonce doesn't show up to a concert with a new song every single time. Totally. It doesn't matter how many times you've listened to that song on the radio, you're going to the concert and you're singing along to the lyrics. And you're going to get something new out of it. Right. So with that, I always say like, recycle your classes and recycle your content. So I'm going back to newsletters and realizing like, oh, what social media content can I make out of my newsletter content? Or how can I put this in a sequence now? So that when people join and they haven't seen it because I sent this out five years ago, that now they can get this piece of content. Or how, can I just send it out again because people forget? Right? And they do. They do. Yeah. I can guarantee you I've sent an email out a year later and people are, get something, like I said, get something completely different out of it. And different nobody it. remembers. I barely yeah. remember what's in it, let alone anybody who's just read it once, right? Exactly. And I think that, you know depending on where you're at, you're going to get something new from it. So yes, repurpose, repurpose, repurpose. I'm so with you on that. And I think too, like, what people don't understand is that people have massive teams, like the, mm-hmm. the quote unquote biggies in the industry have massive teams. Huge have, teams, huge teams. Huge. I have four people working with me. There you four. go. And that's my size of a business, let alone somebody yep. who's got like, you know, the massive business. Yeah. And and I say I have one person working with me, but I mean like my solopreneurship with yoga is dead. We have three people and then sometimes we like we have four or five people at a time. Yeah. You know, but people come in and out or, or sure. like it's a part time gig or whatever it is. But yeah, we had like four, let's say like on average four part time people working for us. So that's a lot of help. We can do it if it was just all us all the time. But for me, the what I think about now is I continue to ask myself, like, do I need to make new stuff? Because making a new stuff takes the most time, right? And you're giggling, but it's I'm like, giggling because it's true. I keep asking myself over and over again, like, do I need to make new stuff? Can I reuse something? Can I just take something I've taught before, maybe cut it up or piece it together in a different way and make it fit the purpose I need to fit? Because that's the thing that saves on time, but it still delivers at the end because I know that I've done it and it's successful. So just kind of keeping that in mind over and over again, I'll, I'll say like, I did create something new this year for accessible yoga. And I had to justify that in my mind because I was like, okay, well, I'm creating this new thing. But the reality is that the topic that I presented on, which is called your movement science is racist or movement science is racist for accessible yoga was based on a panel discussion that I gave already that I like hosted. 
And then it's also going to be a podcast episode probably in the future. So I'm like, this is just outlining. People have asked me to write articles on it. So I'm like, me creating this is actually just doing some legwork for other stuff too. That's what's going to make me create something new at this point. If it's legwork for something else. Well, that's good. That means you're disciplined because let me tell you this. For me, I'm a creator. That's what Mm -hmm. I do, right? Like I'm a creative person. I Mm -hmm. love creating content. It's like what I love the most. Yeah. I have to discipline myself. I have to ask myself, like, is this something your audience really needs or are you bored? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that question. It is. I mean, I feel you because it's not like I don't want to, but I have to continue to remember that in creating new stuff, I will get burnt out if I don't pace myself and I don't have like my protection in place of, yeah, I think about, I co-teach this anatomy training with Erin Moon, who you know and love. Very much. And even in that, right? Like every, Erin and I always talk about this with anatomy. Every year you look at what you've taught and you're like, there's new science or I could have taught this better. And you always want to change it and you always want to add to it. Then there comes a point where you're like, okay, but it's really great as it is. So how much of this is me being a perfectionist? versus how much of me of this is actually needed right oh that's really good that's really good that's a question I sit with a lot is am I just being a perfectionist how do you know the answer because ultimately if you've done the thing a few times which you should always do before you really tinker too much is to say is it did it provide the value that I hoped it would provide and if it didn't provide the value to the level and the way that you wanted it to great I think it's time to add and innovate. If it did already, then I think any addition is bonus. That's how I like to reframe it now. Of like, it actually had the impact I wanted it to have. So why am I wanting to, well, this is just for me then. And that's just all bonus. And so it's more like if I have time and I have extra energy, I can do it. But if I don't, then it's great. I can just show up confidently. Because a lot of this is imposter syndrome. Ooh, speak on that some more. I think, well, and it's funny because I read this article recently about how imposter syndrome, like stop telling people they have imposter syndrome because of course people who don't fit the mold of like straight white male have imposter syndrome because the world was built for straight white male, right? So anyone who doesn't fit that that mold is going to feel some sense of not belonging or not enoughness. And so I just think that when it comes to feeling not enough, of course, we always want to overcompensate and over, over, over deliver, right? Like, I think over delivering is one thing, but it's another thing to go beyond, beyond, beyond every single time. And so I just think like, we have to ask ourselves, are we going overboard because we feel not enough? Oh, gosh, that resonates so much for me. It's, you know, I've gotten better as time has gone on. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll yeah. do it rather than learning to say no, right? Right. That's been a a huge, huge evolution for me, especially in the last couple of years of learning to say no. Mm -hmm. It's got to be fully in alignment, like learning to be like, um, no, that's been rough. And part of that, I do believe is that that imposter thing of not feeling like, oh, I'm not enough. I'm not enough unless I overgive, I overgive, I overgive, right? It's a real tendency. So I really resonate with that deeply. It's definitely, I think, also perpetuated in the yoga industry. Like, there's this message of anybody who works in this industry that opportunities are rare. Right. And that, like, if you don't do it, then you're not going to get another chance. And I've had to talk myself out of that. And part of that is experience now. Since we came out with the podcast in 2019, a lot more opportunities have come our way. And it's become this realization of saying, no doesn't mean that another one's not going to come because actually it will. So now it's a matter of not only what the right opportunities are, but what the right timing for me is. And I think it's important, Nick, because we, you and I were just talking right before we started recording about how we're both taking a little bit of time off. And when I say time off, I mean, we're still entrepreneurs, so there's still work happening where I'm still recording this interview with you, but I was like, oh, this sounds fun. This isn't going to like, exhaust me for the day like this is me and Nick having a chat and it'll be like a really good time and so I'll say yes to a few things and I can keep a few things going but really the practice isn't saying no because even if it's a great opportunity even if the partnership is right the timing doesn't work 
Yeah. I mean, I'm three years in, I was just saying to my business to you before we got on and I have launched every quarter, Yep. every single quarter I have launched some product and I came to this and I canceled my launch on this quarter. And I was like, you know what? I need some time. Mm -hmm. And it has been the best thing that I've done for myself, maybe since I started the business, because it's not only is it giving me space to sort of sit back and yes, am I doing this right now? Yes. Cause it's fun. Like you said, I just show up and chat like that is easy to me. It's fun, but it's giving me this opportunity to reevaluate everything in my business in a new mm -hmm. way and go, what do I really want? Yep. And how can I, how can I serve? in a way that is an alignment, not just in a way of busy, 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 got to make it happen kind of way. And it's creating space for a new and huge expanded vision. Yeah, that was one of the main reasons I needed, I wanted the break too, right? Because if you're always going, 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 you never stop to think, well, is this actually in the direction that I want to be going? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? That at some point, momentum just carries you. <laughs> so you have to actually stop and say, do I need to shift course a little bit? Well, I think we're indoctrinated to believe that we have to be going at all times mm -hmm. or that next opportunity, like you said, is not going to come. Mm -hmm. You're only as good as your last opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it is. And it's so interesting because for us, I, for yoga is dead. When I say us, I always mean yoga is dead. Um, I think about our podcast. We did a season and the season came out 2019 to the beginning of 2020. And we've been essentially on podcast recording hiatus that doesn't mean that we haven't been doing anything because we wrote a book in the meantime that's coming out and we've been doing workshops and we've had a lot of other things going on but I think about there's always this idea of like if you're not doing it consistently well your audience is going to just evaporate and all this work that you've done is just going away and we have this strong faith that that's not the case mm -hmm. like based on our experience now we're like oh actually People who are going to be interested will be interested. And a few people might have forgotten about us, but we'll remind them. That's what marketing is, reminding right. people that you're out there. And if they like it, they'll come back. And if they don't, fine. You know, that's okay, too. But just I think there's this idea of like, oh, you have to have the momentum or you're going to lose your audience and everything you've built is just going to dry up. And I don't think that that's true. I don't, especially anymore. You know, like old school marketing, like we were talking about when you first started in college, like, yeah, maybe, but not anymore. They're, they're, not anymore. Not anymore. So you mentioned a book. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the book. That's so exciting. The book is, is very exciting. The book is called The Original Godmothers of Yoga. And it basically is a showcase of all of these women throughout history that have been breaking the glass ceiling in yoga. And excuse me, sorry. And uh, basically, it came about because we were so sick of hearing the narrative that Indra Devi is the mother of yoga, and she's the first woman to ever do yoga, and all hail Indra Devi because she brought yoga to the West. And actually, all of those statements are false because she's not the first person to bring yoga to the West. She's not the first woman to ever do yoga. So, kind of calling her the mother of yoga is a, is an exaggerated accolade. And so based on that, like every year on International Women's Day, we see all these stories about Indra Devi. And then we see other, uh, particularly white women, sort of taking on the mantle that they created yoga. We see Gwyneth Paltrow have spoken about it. And then just in general, we, Dejo and I talk about appropriation of yoga in the West. And we see all these different like founders of whether it's yoga lineages or modal or different fitness modalities who borrow heavily from yoga kind of. Say that they created this new thing, right? Another great example is John Kabat-Zinn and his mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is just based on Zen Buddhism, right? So rolling my eyes, yes. Right, exactly. And so, like, in order to be like qualified, you have to do MBSR, but it doesn't really count if you just go and learn Zen Buddhist meditation. So, it, based on all of this, where there was like a frustration and a need to showcase a lot of the stories of women within the yoga space that you know, ha occurred be before the 20th century or even within the 20th century, but before Indra Devi's time. So we're really proud of this book. There's so many women featured on it and we've worked as hard as we can to find a diverse array of representation, whether it's different castes or different regions within India. And even we found um, a little bit, a story about gender fluidity that we wanted to include. So 
yeah, we've done, exactly. So we've done as much as we can and we know, we know that we're probably still missing stories and perspectives, but we still think that this work is amazing and valuable and needs to be out in the world. And just like our podcast, we want it to start conversations so that we ourselves can continue to learn further too, because there are people that know all about different women that maybe aren't in the mainstream and we want to know who they are too. Yeah. So you feel represented, you know? Yeah, completely. I, yeah. Because, you know, I'm one of my documentaries is about body image, specifically LGBTQ body image. And one of the things that I've struggled with, which I'm, I was really relating to when you were talking about wanting to represent was that how do I fully represent each part of that community mm-hmm. and the, the diversity that's within that community and, 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 and you can only do yeah. so much, right? You right. can only start the conversation. You can exactly. bring up to, you can bring what you, you bring a mindfulness approach, speaking of mindfulness to it. And yet you can only do so much. Yep. And if we don't do anything, this is where we get in trouble. If we don't do anything, if we're too scared to like do anything, then we're not actually helping. So you've got to do what you can do. hundred percent. Yes, exactly. And I say this too, with the knowledge that because the South Asian subcontinent is so diverse, yeah, like so, so super diverse that like it's huge. <laughs> whenever, whenever we have a chance to be represented in the mainstream or by like even, and I wouldn't even call us mainstream, but like even within, I guess, mainstream yoga, let's call it. Okay. I think that there's always a group that feels left out because we're so diverse again right so it's like virtually impossible to represent everybody and I I just wanted to speak to that because I know that that's the case and I know that that's true and even I think like Mindy Kaling has put out all these shows and she still gets a lot of criticism about you know different things not being represented but it's it's the case that one person can only represent so much and we are still limited by our biases and our privileges in the world and so let's acknowledge that and it's still worth putting out what we have been able to research and put together because it does start the conversation and I'm excited because once the conversation starts like I'm excited to learn because we've learned so much from our audience by just putting out imperfect conversations in the world and starting sparking these conversations around the things that get swept under the yoga mat as we call it our listeners have sent us like so much information back like through social media or through Mm -hmm. email and we get to learn more and we've evolved and definitely like one thing that we always joke about is that you know when we started the podcast there was a fear of like everything is in posterity now like the internet's not going away so even if you think you've deleted something it's probably still out there right And so, like, what does it mean to have these tough conversations imperfectly at a time in your life, and it's going to be recorded forever? And I think the conclusion for us was, well, we're going to give ourselves permission to continue to learn and to continue to grow. And that's okay. And that if something comes back and is, like, totally uncool 10 years from now, that we can just own it and just say, yeah, we didn't know. We didn't know. You only know what you know. Right. When you know it. And you can only learn through doing, right? Like yeah. you have to do it and then be get, get feedback. And I get there's a fear, right? Especially right now. There's this fear of if I say something, will I get canceled? Yeah. <laughs> will the mob come after me on either right. side, right? Like whatever, there's yep. that fear. But in order to evoke change, in order to evoke the conversation that's needed, you've got to take the first step. Mm-hmm. No matter what. Absolutely. And I think that's what I love about what you do, Nick, is that, really you encourage people to take that first step in owning who they are entirely and showing up who they are entirely, because that is essentially what it means to show up as a creative professional. It's to just show up in your whole entirety vulnerably, right? Because that's what it is. It's a lot of vulnerability. And then to just say, okay, I'm ready for the feedback (laughs) and I'm going to have a, you know, this is where it gets like, this is the practice of doing it is where you have to now put in a filter for the feedback. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because I'm sure, because look, I get tons of feedback that isn't always positive. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I've had to learn to navigate that. Yep. And all of my students, because I, I do really, I'm an advocate for vulnerability, like you're talking about of showing yourself fully, the ugly parts and all you're going to get feedback. 
So how have you, because I know that you have, because the <laughs> controversial stuff that you've put out there, quote unquote controversial. Thank you for putting quotes around that. Because it's so not, but right. for some it is, right? It, like it racism triggers, is bad and that's controversial. Right. It triggers people, right, is yeah. what, it, what has happened. So I'm sure that they're in there being triggered, they have sent some vitriol your direction. How have you managed that? How have you been able to find the space for that? I think it's been an evolving process. I just want to say that. So there's never, never like a perfect moment where nothing ever affects me. That's not totally not true. We're still human beings. But I think that there is a sort of thought out process now in play for me where I like to think about it in a few buckets. Like, is the person giving me feedback? Giving me feedback because they come from a marginalized perspective that I'm not a part of or I have privileges in that area. So, for example, I'm able-bodied. So if somebody is coming to me because they are part of the disabled community and they're asking me to change or rectify my language or something, I'm going to take that into account because that's something where I'm ignorant because I don't have the experience. So, great. Or, you know, if somebody's advocating on behalf of that community, that makes sense to me. If somebody is a person who's also in the arena, as Brene Brown likes to say, I always quote Brene Brown on this, but somebody who else who's out there and publicly putting themselves out there, I'm more likely to hear, right? Because I know that they know what it feels like to be vulnerable and be in the spotlight and have to like navigate negative feedback as well, right? Like there is that sort of camaraderie. So it's like, okay, well, you know what it's like. (laughs) So if you have to navigate negative feedback and you're trying to deliver negative feedback, I will probably take that much more seriously than I would somebody who's like, for example, coming at us from like a private account on Instagram and commenting from a private account, right? Like no vulnerability there. Sorry, probably not going to be open to what you have to say. And then the third sort of thing is, you know, again, if, if it's not really those two buckets, for the most part, I kind of am like, okay, well, I'm going to hear your feedback with a grain of salt. And I do put in, in some cases I do, we do have like a social media person that was working with us for, we don't anymore at the moment, but for a while with yoga said we did have a social media person. So it's nice to have like a filter yeah. of somebody that could say like, Hey, this is real feedback. And this is probably something that you should address. And yeah, this other person seemed like maybe they were a politically affiliated with this other thing. And maybe we know how you already feel on that political issue. So you don't really need to address it because differences of opinion are going to happen. But if, if it's a difference of opinion versus like real feedback are kind of different things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or out and out ignorant hate stuff. That's just, like, yeah. you know, not interested. And I'll say to me, what's, I, I think nowadays the kind of more hurtful community, the comments come from people within my community mm. who I almost feel like, who I feel like could be colleagues. Maybe we never met, but we're like doing similar type of work, even with similar lenses. And then they just say something completely hurtful that is neither here nor there. That's kind of the mo- ones that get me the most these That's days. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so I just have to kind of keep in mind again, like this is, I guess, another filter, but the idea that again, we can, we're not a monolith and we don't all have to agree. And right. that person can have a negative opinion about me and my work and I don't need to engage with them right? just because they feel entitled to deliver that feedback. Cause I didn't ask for it. That's the other piece of it. There are times where like you, you open up space for it. And there are times where you kind of don't. And so if it comes out of left field, well, I didn't really ask for it in that moment. Well, you know, I, I say to my students a lot, there's this thing called delete ban. You do not need to take anything from anyone that is beyond the line of appropriate. Right. There is good feedback. And there is feedback that helps you learn. And then there is feedback that is not really feedback. Right. And you don't have to take it. Yeah. And it's also like if you... I often think if they are out in the world doing this work and if they want to see a certain outcome, then they can be working towards it. And if they're not actively working towards the outcome they want to see, but sort of just criticizing others, like that's another kind of place of filtering of, okay, well, most people who want, who are really in it to win it are going to be doing the work for the outcome that they want to see in the world. 
Yeah, and I and those are the ones that are in that arena, right? Because rarely do I get it from those in the arena. Rarely. Right. Yeah. Because people know, people get it. I did have one recently, and it was through an email, and I found it so fascinating because I just, I really, it took me everything. Not, you know, sometimes there's like yeah. the one that gets you. There's the yeah, one under your skin. gets under your skin, right? And you're like, yeah. I'm gonna tell her. That was like my attitude about it, you know. Yeah. And I, like, I, and then you're like, I don't actually want to tell her because I no, don't want to get into a back and forth. I don't want to get into a back and forth. I'm not really. I'm. It's like. I like wrote up this email and I was going to send it back. And I like, and I wrote it and I realized I needed to write it for myself. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to touch her. It wasn't going to do anything. It wasn't going to shift her perspective. It wasn't going to change her mind. Yeah. It was me just needing to get it out. And then I did, I didn't send it. And I felt so much better. It's like, Oh, okay. That's what I needed to do. Yep. It was my like, you know, care around this. I have totally done that. You know, I, <laughs> this is like a little bit weird to admit, but sometimes I'll like write a whole reply on like a Facebook thing and then delete it oh I've done that because I just don't because I don't actually want to engage like I know that engaging is just going to make it worse versus like yeah sometimes you just want to like type out your aggression of all the reasons the person is misunderstanding the situation or is confused about what's actually going on and then you're like wait why because you know I'm not responsible for them right de-escalation because you're not responsible for them. That's the yoga. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the yoga. Of yoga. That's <laughs> the point of yoga. That's the yoga. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that there, you know, for so long, there was this love, light, and bullshit about in yoga circles of not calling people out, right? Like, which is, which is also not yoga. You know what I'm saying? Totally, totally. So it's this weird, it's this weird place that we're in now of trying to find what that means, I think. Yeah, and I do think that there is this idea of call-out culture, and I do think that some people definitely take it too far. Yeah. But I do think that there is this, like, middle ground of really asking people to recognize that maybe they've done something harmful and that they should just take responsibility for it. That doesn't mean that that... Thing needs to define them forever but the reaction to people saying like you you messed up is sort of the thing that defines you forever right yeah well I mean one of the reasons I like what you all do is that you you ask questions mm-hmm. you poke and ask questions yeah. rather than taking a knife and stabbing do you know what I'm saying yeah like that's a very different way of approaching you're asking people to turn inward for sure you're asking them to look within themselves rather than taking something to them and being like, you've got to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's never a one size fits all answer anyway. No. There's absolutely no way that I could know every single person's circumstance and context and history and like level of education around this stuff to have any sort of say in what they should or shouldn't do. But what I can't do is like bring a framework and say like, here's a great framework to start to think about these topics and for you I think it's important that everybody myself included Basil and I don't disclude ourselves from this situation that we all have to do this internal work to figure out like where we fit in and how we can be more inclusive and be the community we actually want to see because I do think that we want to see an inclusive community I think everyone does I mean not well I shouldn't say everyone I can't speak for <laughs> everyone because not maybe not everyone but I think most people who say all are welcome they really intend for that really want that intention to be true, that really all are welcome. They just don't know how to do it. Yeah. They don't know how to do the invitation. I think people just don't realize that they are inadvertently excluding people. Right. But again, yeah. it's that, that, that fear of not knowing how. Mm-hmm. And so rather than reaching out beyond what they currently know, they don't know how to do it. And so they're scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think they're well-meaning. I think they think that they're doing it, but they're really not if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a lot of fear, too. I've seen, I've been, you know, in situations where, like, we've asked a business that really, in their, in their logo, and all their, their, like, marketing wanted to be inclusive, to host a workshop with, like, with me, I'll say, and somebody else, about this topic of, like, racism within yoga, and I, they were so fear-driven around what it's going to do to their business. And I was like, you know, in that situation, trying to explain to them, like, hey, actually, what you're doing is inviting a whole audience you didn't know existed in your area to come and see what your space is all about. And because 
the podcast has a built-in audience so therefore I kind of had you know at the time too like and obviously now a built-in audience I'm like yeah when I do a talk in different places like there are people who might who are going to be interested because our audience is global so you're just tapping into people you didn't know existed that could be a part of your community the world has shifted so much since you started that podcast <laughs> I mean in some ways and in other ways not at all not right? at all <laughs> right like the conversation has shifted. For sure. I I think the podcast definitely had an impact on how the conversation unfolded. I think a lot of these conversations were waiting in the wings for sure. But I think because we spoke so bluntly about many of them that it gave permission for others to sort of just like open the floodgates and like speak more bluntly about it too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like instead of using coded language and whispering, which is a lot of what was going on at the yeah. time that we recorded this, yeah. right? It was like, oh, these two girls just said this. So like, okay, I'm just going to send this to people now because now they can listen to it and then I can just say what I want to say rather than being like, you know, it feels unsafe sometimes to be the first person to ever say this out loud in your community. So how did you have the courage to do it? Ignorance. That's how I didn't, I didn't think anybody was going to listen to it, Nick. That's how. That's really it. That's hysterical. You're like, ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> But like, you know, but now we we continue to speak knowing that people are listening to us. So ignorance only lasts for a short period of time. Yeah, so, so right after that first ignorance, like how did you yeah. then have it? Because I think this is what I'm pointing to is, is that like getting over that fear thing that we've been talking about, because I think that yeah. that's really important for people to do. And so I'm asking you to give, show, shine the light, show them the way. Yeah, you know, what is it that, what is that process for you? It was multifaceted. I will say that a couple of things had to come together. One, okay, the, I'll, I won't lie. The creative process was an extremely challenging because it's something we had never done before, right? And like we had started a year before we launched our first episode, scrapped the whole thing, started from scratch, recorded it, realized that it needed a lot of editing. We even went back to the studio, re-recorded, we rewrote all the episodes. Like, so there was a lot of like learning curve challenges working in a partnership challenges for the first time, like all of those things. And it was still fulfilling creatively. I don't think that I could have done this if it was not a fulfilling endeavor. So I think the learning was challenging and exhausting and took me to my boundaries at some points, but it also was really interesting, was also like really exciting. So you know, I, I just want to name that because like we can hold two extreme emotions <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, because I, I think you're speaking of passion. Right. You know, like when you're passionate about something, you can move through that fear a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. That's what you're, that's exactly it. So you have to have the passion, I think, if you're going to say such like quote unquote controversial things. And I think the other piece of it is that we saw that it was helping people. Yeah, we got a lot of hate mail, a lot of hate messages, but overwhelmingly, we were getting positive messaging, positive feedback, right? So yeah, the hate ones tend to be the ones that you as an individual, as a creator, were like ruminate on and like hold on to, right? Like, and so you had to step back and be like, well, that's like one out of a hundred. 99 other people are saying how amazing this is and how it's life-changing for them in whatever way or like that it's actually helped them have these conversations or it's opened up a new way forward or have made them have some sort of internal re realization and you're like oh all of that stuff is amazing and it's worth it and now there's more people who can like speak about this and that was our goal it meets the goal and that right there is everything that's it in a nutshell for me and that you were talking about what I do and the reason that I do is exactly that right there to get people to open themselves up to talk so that they can help others that's yep. really what it's about for me mm -hmm. yep I think part of that had to do with the fact that I didn't have role models growing up yep there were no gay role models that didn't exist that didn't exist at all and so I never saw myself represented yes there were white men but I was not like any of them <laughs> Right? right. And so getting people to open up and come out and come out <laughs> and, speak, <laughs> and speak their truth and hold that space for others to then have those recognizable moments. I think that's everything. I really do. I did too. I did too. But I have, I do think that the process is equally important. Like the impact of the process on you. Oh, yes. Right? That's like, 
if you're not being, if you're not like learning and you're not excited and you're not, for me, I was transformed by this process. Mm-hmm. I, re- I really was like, I'm not the same person I was before I created that podcast. So it, it's like, I learned so much and became like more, even more of who I am so much more deeply that I don't think that if that wasn't there, I would have done it. You would have given up after the first one, you know? Well, I think that you wouldn't have done it right. Right. Like if you, were, <laughs> yeah. if you didn't have that transformation, then you wouldn't have necessarily done it right. Done it right. Right. You know, exactly. And I do think that it's, that goes back to that whole thing of we teach what we most need to learn. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in that, in that, I think that it just resonates with the not being represented thing to me so much. Like when you're not represented, of course, how could you have learned the things you needed to learn? Right. And so to me, it's like both. I'm like, yeah, it, somebody needs to show up and represent this perspective. Mm. Even if it's not perfect. Might as well be you. It, yeah. And it and now when I think about like people I really admire, I look through a different lens, you know, and not to say that I'm like some big deal or anything. I'm not, but I'm like, oh, I have like maybe a 0.1% experience of what they have. And I, I'm like, oh, but it is an evolution because nobody I admired showed up day one to be the way that, you know, they, they were like years or decades into the, how they showed up to do the thing. No, and I think there's a perception out there that people show up perfect. Yeah, and it's not true. So not true. Right. So, not so true. everyone has to start somewhere. And I think, like, it's really helpful to remember your role models, like, the first, if there's footage of them, if they're, like, modern-day people, like, to be like, oh, what did they look like day one? Day what did two? they sound like? What were they doing? <laughs> what did they, yeah. 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 You know? What did they say in interviews that they don't say anymore? And, you know, in a few years, you're going to look back on this interview and be like, ah, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned so much more since then, right? Like, that's that's natural evolution. A hundred percent, yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today and um, having this fun conversation with me and for all that you're doing in the world, honestly. Thank you, you too. I know that for me, you've really shifted my, my perception. And I was a very early fan of the podcast, obviously. I was like, you know, like, yes, I was on the <laughs> No, I'm really, and um, it's been great to be a part of and watch your evolution as, as a human on this planet and all that you're doing. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate you too. So how can everyone find you? The best way to find me is to hit me up on Instagram. And my handle is at yogawala with two L's. So Nick, I'm sure you'll drop it in the show notes. I sure will. And so pretty much all the current things I'm doing are like the link in bio on my Instagram. So that's like the most up-to-date stuff that I'm doing. Perfect. So go check out Yoga Walla on Instagram. Go check out the Yoga is Dead podcast if you have not listened to it. I mean, if you're a yogi and you have not listened to this podcast, go right now. (laughs) You can even skip. I'm even giving you permission to skip this next episode of this podcast to go listen to that podcast, but do come back. And be sure, to write, <laughs> be sure to write us a review. They do matter, as Jason will tell you, they do matter in the algorithm of all things. So we appreciate you so much for being here today. I, When I say we, I mean me and the team. No, I do too. <laughs> Thanks for giving us your time and listening to us chat. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day, y'all. See you next time.